0: And the goal that we have is to provide our listeners the real facts, the real stats about our local market. Um, Hey, you wouldn't go into a football game without a well-prepared game plan? Well, real estate's no different. We'll provide you the information that will help you make that well-prepared game plan so you'll be a winner in the real estate market. Today, we have a really special show. Um... One of the things that I'm most proud about the Realtor organization is there, there's a necessity, but a feeling to serve the community, and that's what we're doing today. Uh, we have Denise Ocanto here from the Central California Food Bank here in the studio. Good morning, Denise.
1: Good morning, Don. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, and I have known Denise since high school days. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. You wouldn't talk to me back then. (laughs) I'm joking. She was very nice. (laughs) Um, But I just couldn't pass that one up. (laughs) All right. We're going to talk in this first segment about the food bank, the necessity for it, what it does, how we can help out. Then we have an interesting one in the second segment. We're talking with a property manager from West L.A., regarding rent control and some of the buzz about that. Then we have in the third segment, we're going to be talking about homeowners insurance with a young man named Bobby Thistle, who's also our board operator. He's probably going to mute it during the third segment because he's a little nervous. But uh, let's see if he actually does that. Then we're going to come back to Denise and we're going to find out more about the food bank and what we can do. So that's what's on store for today. In our first segment, I'd like to ask Denise Ocanto, what does the Central California Food Bank do?
1: Actually, the Fresno Central California the Central California Food Bank, we feed people in Fresno, Madera, Kings, Kern, and Tulare counties. And in uh, fiscal year 2021-22, we provided 54 million pounds of food to people in our service area.
0: Wait a minute, that's 54 million pounds of food? Yes. Just in our geographical area that you just mentioned?
1: Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I have to tell you, there was an increase during COVID, um, which affected everyone, of course. And um, it also affected those who are low income, who lost their jobs, possibly closed businesses, and oftentimes had a reduction in um, in their um, daily um, service. And so a lot of people came to our lines that never came before. And it was about a 50 to 100% increase, and 25% of those people, uh, again, like I said, had never, ever used... Um, any kind of services before so um, that is why there is an increase and um, now we're dealing with the repercussions of all that and other things of course
0: hmm so you say lines where, where are these lines at
1: actually we partner with 220 partner agencies such as Pavarello Catholic Charities Fresno Mission churches and pantries to distribute food and that is the lines it's the distribution lines and so without them we couldn't serve the community and so these lines are everywhere they're called our agency partners and so if anybody needed help all they would have to do is go to www.ccfoodbank.org and look under um, food locator, and they could find the locations of all of these distributions.
0: Mm-hmm. And speaking of websites and links, we have a new one that was just set up yesterday, and that is for the Welcome Home Radio listeners. So it's live right now. If anybody feels compelled during this show, and actually we're going to leave it open for a while, mm-hmm. so, uh, but it sure make me feel good to, uh, know that it happened during this show. Um, you can go to give give dot dot org backslash WHR. And of course the WHR is for Welcome Home Radio. And if you could go there, uh, make a donation, whatever is in your heart and, and in your pocketbook too, uh, then then gosh we'd really appreciate it
1: and uh, I'd like to mention though that um, just remember that one dollar can help provide up to seven meals so anything that you can give can make a difference in a person's life
0: and I want to tell you about it that seven meals out of one dollar is the big thing that this young elementary school kid named Blake talks about oh oh, you that's right you know Blake
1: yes he's doing his own fundraiser
0: yeah and that guy made over a thousand dollars
1: yes
0: um just a young kid and and he wanted to do this and what really impressed him at his young age is that one dollar turns into seven meals so here's a young school-age kid that uh, did that and then what really touched me is last week when our company, Realty Concepts, um, I say our, that's the company I work for, and Guarantee Real Estate, a, a great competitor and uh, somebody that we often cooperate with on, on projects like this, we did the Hunger Hero Project where we collected money on the street corners by our office. And I was touched by Blake. I guess he had an extra 13 bucks that, uh, and I don't know if he got it from his allowance or what, but he put that in my bucket.
1: Oh, that is so sweet. Well, I'm waiting for Blake to come down to the food bank so that we can give him an opportunity to give him a tour, as well as take a picture uh, for a check presentation and just give him some love and appreciation for being the hunger hero that he is.
0: Yeah, now how does a young kid think of things like this?
1: You know, I would have to think that his parents inspired him to give back. You just, you know, we are the people that inspire our children to give. Mm. So I would assume, I haven't met his mother or father yet, but I would love to because I've even told her in emails that you were his inspiration, obviously, so. You know, it can be done um, with our volunteer situation. Um, actually, volunteers can bring their five-year-olds, and uh, they can come and help prepare food for distribution on a Saturday, the first Saturday of every month. So, you know, that's one way that you can get your family involved in helping others.
0: And I want to tell you about last week, last, uh, Good Friday, And we're out there. I I had a two-hour shift on the corner of First and Alluvial with a bucket and a sign to collect money. And I'm going to say for the first 20, maybe 30 minutes, it was frustrating. I had collected nothing. (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, gosh. And then it was so inspiring. This one lady pulls over, puts a window down, says, I have some for you. It was like 26 cents. But it was the passion in her eyes mm-hmm. that made me think, man, she, it's what she had, and she was giving it. A few minutes later, another person pulled over, uh, rolled down the window, put a $100 bill in there, and it started to roll. And then, um, so, the key to this, my, the lesson learned is don't give up. Don't pack it in. It'll, you know, it, it'll eventually happen. And I ended up with a whole bucket full of money that I was able to uh, turn in, and uh, it's part of the Hunger Hero uh, Project.
1: Yes. You know, it was um, spearheaded by a thought um, a couple of years ago, and then, of course, COVID shut it down, and then I got a call from Guarantee saying they wanted to do it, and... I know that Realty Concepts are are the most amazing hunger heroes on the corner. So, in collaboration with Guarantee and and, uh, Realty Concepts, they came together as one to fight hunger and feed hope on the corners in a beautiful day called Friday, the uh, Good Friday. And uh, I think it was very successful, but most importantly, it was blessings for all.
0: And and talk about blessings, so here's a, personal feeling that i got i mean i was touched Mm -hmm. by these people uh one of my old neighbors drove by and dropped some money you know hey don i had to cross three lanes of traffic to get there (laughs) maybe she's trying to get me back (laughs) But, (laughs) but you know and she dropped some money in there but my point is i felt really good because i had been And everybody does this even Mookie Betts was in a slump so um until last night (laughs) but I I felt like I oh man I feel like I'm in a slump and then all that giving um it it touched me and since then the slump is over (laughs) it's um yeah and uh, I feel really good about that so good karma whatever you call it um Either that or the good Lord looking down saying, see, we're gonna give our way out of these issues that we have. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if there's issues with hunger, give. So what's that, can can you give us the website for the donation again?
1: Oh yes, the the website is give.ccfoodbank.org backslash WHR. And remember again, $1 helps provide up to seven meals and just know that we are amazing stewards with your donation and later on i'll talk about some of our comprehensive feeding programs so you know that whatever you donate will go towards feeding our community
0: all right thank you denise and uh stay here with us we are going to go to our next commercial break but stay tuned to welcome home radio 940 kyno Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. We have Denise Ocanto from the local food bank here with us. But right now, we're going to go to another guest who is calling in from West Los Angeles. And that would be Irma Vargas. Good morning, Irma. Good morning, Don. Nice thank- to be talking to you. Yeah, thank you. And so glad that you're calling in because I think you have some really interesting information that will help our, our listeners. Um, and anyway, you're, you're a property manager with RST and Associates out of West L.A. And um, how big of an area do you cover? So we
2: cover a pretty big area. We cover the greater Los Angeles area. And if people know Los Angeles, it's a pretty big city. But beyond that, we also um, manage in Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, Culver City, we go as far south as Hawthorne, Inglewood and Long Beach. So it's a pretty big part of LA County that we manage.
0: Now, are they all rent control areas? Because that's our topic uh, for this segment is rent control because that's something that is being talked about here in the Fresno the Fresno area.
2: So, a big part of LA County does have some sort of rent control. The original ones were basically Santa Monica and Los Angeles is where it initially started in 1978 and 79. But over the last few years, actually, uh, more communities have started to implement rent control. Pretty much, just about COVID time is when they started implementing. A few just before that.
0: Okay, Um, what? And it's funny you say Santa Monica and. Los Angeles uh, since 1978, 79, because aren't they the more expensive areas?
2: So the one thing that people don't realize is if they look at the areas like like Santa Monica and Los Angeles, including like San Francisco and Berkeley, which also implemented rent controls just about the same time as we did in the southern part of um, California, those are our highest priced areas. Compared to uh, neighborhoods right next door, like Culver City or Inglewood, um, or in our in our jurisdiction, even the uh, the um, San Gabriel Valley, where rents are much more moderate. So that sounds like controls, a
0: contradiction, though. If you would have rent controls, why would they be higher?
2: Well, what people don't realize about rent controls is it it as rent controls. Stabilizes in a community. Those tenants find that if they decide to move, they are under rents that are much lower than the market, so they stay put. So the units that do become vacant, well, the owners have to make up that money somewhere. So there's scarcer supply of units because rent-controlled units tenants never move. They, I mean, we have some tenants who've been there literally since 40 years, since 78, that are still there. So they don't move as a rule because it's very difficult for them. Once they become accustomed to this lower rent and their lifestyle has been accustomed to being with that low rent, they don't move. So the scarcer units of vacancies that do come up, owners try to make up in those units And so the rents go higher and people are willing to pay more because they want to get into the neighborhoods. So, of course, that's what increases the price of those rents in those neighborhoods because of the scarcity of units available.
0: You know, that brings up another thought uh, from my experience is whenever somebody moves out and a new person moves in, usually in between the home gets refurbished, rehabbed. So if somebody's there a long, long time, um, maybe not so they don't get fixed as much.
2: No, that's absolutely uh, a fact. So um, we're seeing now, I mean, it's been 40 years since rent control came in and we're now starting to see vacancies. And I hate to say this, but a lot of them are leaving because they're, as we call it, leaving feet first. They're either dying or they're moving into rest homes. Those units, are in such bad shape that we pretty much have to cut the units out to, um, to fix them up. But even when a tenant's been there, um, you know, 7, 10, 20 years, again, it's a lot of expense to have to redo them because those units, when the tenants are living there, don't get refurbished. They get fixed up, you know, maintenance is maintained, but they don't get refurbished. So those components start deteriorating. If you remember, in the prior to rent control, the average tenancy was five to seven years. So there was always a turnover. Uh, tenants would move in out of college. They would get their job started. Then they would either move up to buying a home, buying a condo, or moving into a, a nicer unit. Because in college, they start off with oh, you know the cheapest units they could find. Well, that's not happening anymore. Those college students that were there or that finally got a place, they now stay there 10, 15, 20 years. And so they never really move out. And those units, maintenance, of course, when they they vacate, there's a major cost um, to the owner for that.
0: Okay, I have a question for you, Irma, because you probably do... Uh, manage the repairs and maintenance on properties too. Let's say yes. in the last 20 years, what how have maintenance and repair costs gone up? So, um
2: it depends on the uh the property. So, we have some buildings, for example, that in the San Gabriel Valley that we've been managing, we get more turnover there that's that's a non-rent controlled area. So their costs typically are more stable. Maintenance costs are more stable because the tenants move out. We go in and we have to do some refurbishing, but not major extent, not, a, not to a major extent. In the rent control jur- jurisdictions, when a tenant moves out who's been there for you know multiple years, we're talking about. Right now, anywhere from forty to fifty thousand, sometimes just to fix up a unit. So these costs come; they may not come every year, but you're still maintaining the unit because tenants are calling for, you know, plumbing repairs, faucets breaking, garbage disposal is breaking. So you're constantly doing repairs, but the components in the building and the unit are not getting refurbished. So when they finally move out. There's a major expense there. So there's a difference in that also between these older buildings, because remember they're all older buildings, all built before 78. So those buildings have major refurbishing when those tenants move out versus our non rent controlled areas that we've been able to keep up because the turnover has been a little bit better.
0: I got you. So um, let's take a duplex as an example in this duplex, you've got one where the people have been there 25 years under rent control. So, um, when the one next door becomes vacant, there's going to be a disparity, right? in In the rents. Oh, v- very
2: much so. Um, what What the new tenants don't realize is they're they're subsidizing the old tenants. You know, the if you look at some of the rent. Um, for tenants who've been there, you know, uh, 10, 20, or 30 years, just think about the rent increases that the cities have given out. They're minuscule, you know, 1%, 2%. In L.A., it's capped at 3%, which doesn't really keep up with CPI, so your costs are get are continuing to increase, and your rent increases are not keeping up with it. So the when that unit becomes vacant, that owner is going to try to make up as much as he can. So he looks out at the marketplace to see what's the maximum he can get. Of course, he's going to raise his rent, his new rent, because that's the only time he has that opportunity is when that unit becomes vacant to get market rent. And he's going to try and get the most possible because he knows once it's rented, it now will be under the rent control, and he'll get that 1%, 2%, or 3% increase annually, and that's it. So the old tenant may be paying eight hundred, a $1,000, Well, the new rent coming up may be 2000 2500 for the exact same unit. Wow. So there's a huge disparity right. with those units.
0: So let's say a unit becomes available, and there's multiple applications for it what is the property owner most likely to select somebody who's going to stay long-term or somebody who may be more mobile and moving in a couple, three years?
2: Well, um, I used to say that they would look for the most mobile, but that doesn't happen because tenants become accustomed to the single rent. And even though they become there, you know, they are able financially to move out. They don't. Right. So, In the last, I would say, 20 years, what owners are looking for is who is going to – so let's say you have multiple applicants, uh, a family maybe with three kids or two kids, or a single professional who's making a lot of money who may not call you as much and may not have as much um, wear and tear on the unit. The owner is going to look at that individual who is going to – Who's a little bit more upward mobile and able to maybe take care of the place a little bit himself versus calling you all the time versus the family? So we're finding that more and more uh, property owners are looking for the least number of units, uh, uh, least number of tenants to move into a unit because it's less wear and tear on the, on the unit. And so the losers in this whole scenario. Which is the ironic part about rent control, which is supposed to help the poor and the families, is the poor and the families are really the big losers. And if you look at the cities I mentioned earlier, like Santa Monica and San Francisco uh, and LA, the, the better parts of LA, there are some lower parts, lower income areas of LA, but even there, you'll find that there is a statistically, higher-income people living in those properties, not low-income people. The only low-income people are the low-income people who were there when rent control first came in and, were in, and stayed in their units, didn't move. So the, if you look at the population, Santa Monica and L.A. is very white, very upward mobile, very high-income. And we've got less families. If you look at the school system, in like Santa Monica, our numbers in the school system have dropped. Uh, Santa Monica, in fact, has given vouchers to the city of L.A. because they couldn't fill our schools because families are not moving in. They're wow. being kept out because of rent control. And people don't understand that part.
0: So is it fair to say that the unintended consequence of rent control... Is that it helps the affluent more than it helps the poor?
2: Absolutely, and and if people look at the uh, the statistics or even look at the uh, census, the U.S. census for those areas, look at San Francisco. Who's living in San Francisco? It's not the poor. The poor are on the streets. It's the rich. It's the techies. They're all in these rent-controlled apartments. The same in Santa Monica and in Los Angeles. It's the high higher wage earners that are actually getting the units
0: wow interesting now i think you were doing property management uh back when uh when rent control started right in 78 yes i was young back then but i was (laughs) okay well me too in fact um you and i talked about this some years ago i did my first rental in 1978 here in fresno So what did a unit rent for back then in 78? And what does it rent for now if you were to put it on the market? And then I'm going to compare it to Fresno.
2: Okay. Well, um, I remember in 1977, just before rent control came in, we had um, three buildings on 7th Street north of Wilshire, which is a nice part of town. We had 30 units there, three 10-unit buildings owned by the same owner and we had 10 vacancies there and we were asking $190 a month for a one bedroom, one bath unit and we couldn't give them away. We finally got them rented at $175 a month. That was in 1977, 78, just before rent control came in. Today, those same units are renting for Depending on how they've been remodeled, anywhere from twenty-eight to thirty-two hundred a month.
0: That is quite an increase. Yeah. Now, uh, compared to Fresno, back in seventy-eight, I did my first rental. It was a single-family home for three hundred and seventy-five dollars a month. Um, today I'm renting it for like eleven seventy-five. If they moved out, I could probably get. Let's say fourteen hundred. So the percentage increase in the rent-controlled area is astronomical compared to the normal, regular market that we've had in Fresno. So, and in forty-something years, you got to factor in inflation and such. But to go from three seventy-five to eleven seventy-five is not that great. No, that's pretty modest. Um, But
2: I would. I agree with you. I think rent control has pushed rents up because prior to rent control, number one, um, and I was right out of high school was rented, you know, in the management company. Uh, we didn't raise rents every year. We'd been, uh, you know, we, we would kind of keep an eye on what's happening in the building and we would know our tenants. Number one, we actually knew our tenants back then. And so we would decide, you know, maybe when, it was a good time to raise it. And we did like five and $10 rent increases and not every year. Once rent control came in, the unintended consequences too was now owners were faced with the idea that, wow, we may not get what kind of increase are we going to get next year? So they raised rents every year. So since 78, all those units, if they're still there, get a rent increase every year. And, the The dynamics between the tenant and the landlord has disappeared. The city has wedged itself in there. So we get a lot more calls from tenants saying, well, I'm going to call the rent control board because they don't like our answer. And we say, fine, you know, please call, you know, but the relationship has been severed in, in many cases because they've been told that landlords or property owners are bad people and, uh, to look to them for the answers. Um, I'll never forget an 80-year-old lady once called me complaining about a penny, literally a penny, and she had called the rent control board who called me. And I, I was went through the calculations with the rent control board, and we were charging a penny less than what she had anticipated based on the rent increase, and she was afraid we were going to try to evict her over this penny. Those are the things that, you know, really bothered me over the years because that woman, if I had able to talk to her myself, I could have answered that question and uh, and alleviated her fears, but the mistrust that has been put in the tenants by the cities as to how landlords are trying to get rid of them um, makes them fearful of even talking to them, so our communication with tenants is a lot more cold. It's indifferent because they don't trust us. And uh, it's a very sad situation because in our other communities that we don't have rent control, those tenants are, are willing to call and talk to us. And we do communicate and we do have that conversation. But in the rent controlled areas and the longer they've been there, the less trusting of owners they are, which is the sad part of this whole thing.
0: So one last question before we go to our next commercial break, would you, are you a proponent of rent control or the free market?
2: Definitely proponent of free market because I've seen that rent control with all its good intentions has not accomplished any other goals.
0: And, after, and that's after forty, forty years. years. Yeah. Wow. Well, Irma Vargas, I want to thank you for calling in, being a guest on our show, and sharing your experiences with us, and uh, we do have to go to a commercial break now, so stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940-KYNO. Oh, put me in to put me in well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio, this is Don Scordino, your host, and... Earlier in the show, we were talking with Denise Ocanto of the Central California Food Bank, and we have set up a link where our listeners can go and help out. One dollar feeds, has seven meals. Uh, And so we've already got some money collected, but I want to give you that link again in in case you haven't um, gotten to it yet. Go to dot ccfoodbank.org backslash whr for welcome home radio and i do want to say we had mentioned that denise and i had talked last week at the spirit of cooperation drive that was by guarantee real estate and realty concepts this one is for welcome home radio solely so um we welcome home radio is the what do you call it a hunger hero
1: yes Definitely.
0: Okay. Hey, it's my chance to be a hero. (laughs) So help me out guys. Uh, Go online and donate, please. And and now, now we're going to turn to, um, Bobby Thistle, who is our board operator has been for years. So he, he knows the gig here, but Bobby is also a agent with farmers insurance and, uh, Want to talk about that relationship between selling a home and the insurance?
3: Uh, good morning. Good morning, Don. It's good to have a microphone this time. Maybe I could defend myself a little bit. Yeah, you like to poke fun at me, and maybe I can, you know, defend the Giants or my ability to read a map. You know, the listeners will.
0: <laughs> well, the good one was your ability about. to read a map <laughs> when you didn't know where Europe was. That was. You know. Oh my
3: goodness! There we go. I know Uh, where that's at. All
0: right. But you do know a thing or two about insurance. So uh, help help our listeners know what's in their policy. What should they be looking for?
3: Well, definitely you want to look for, you know, a full policy that's going to cover you in case of a loss, you know, fire insurance, water loss, protect your personal property, usually the, the standard things that come in a home insurance policy. And you want to make sure your deductible is going to be affordable for you if you do have a loss. Um, those are kind of the, the the major things to look at. And and really, you know, cost per square foot for a home, if there was a total loss, you want to make sure there's enough money to rebuild. Right. And I've heard
0: people complain saying, oh, that, that's too much insurance uh, for replacement costs because it would only cost me $200 a foot to rebuild or $200 a foot to build a home. Why is it? $250 a foot uh, f- being charged by the insurance company. And I understand that's because there's more to rebuilding than there is to building initially. There's demolition costs.
3: Yeah, there's debris removal. You got to have the labor. You got to have the materials. And within a policy period of a year, we could see inflation of wood go up or you know, roofing material, metal, composition shingles, the prices can go up. So it's important to have that extra extended replacement cost just in case there was that major loss.
0: What is extended replacement cost?
3: So for your normal home insurance policy, you'll have your, your dwelling coverage of, let's say, $300,000. And then, and, you know, any insurance carrier are going to have options where you can have 10%, 20%, 50% extended replacement cost. So that's going to be extra money in case of inflation to rebuild your home. If that $300,000 wasn't enough, if you have 10,000, you have an extra, or 10%, you have an extra $30,000. So um,
0: I recently had somebody say that, hey, my garage door broke. Should I call my insurance company on that? (laughs) Um, And and it would, I mean, my first comment was, well, what do you think it's going to cost to to fix this or replace it and you know a few hundred dollars so do you want to be calling your insurance company and turning in a claim for a small one like that
3: I don't think so I would advise against doing that because you could you know you could fix it yourself a friend a family member somebody could come replace it for 500 bucks instead of making a claim and then if you make a lot of claims like that, most companies are going to drop you and then you have to go find a really expensive insurance company. So it's really not, you know, you're, you're not going to be claiming the smaller things. It's really the stuff that's going to wreck your, wreck your life that you want to be claiming about. Right.
0: So um, save your claims for the catastrophic ones. It, yeah. And not only that, there's a deductible of it. Usually, what, $1,000, $2,500? Yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, If you turn in a claim for, that gets fixed for 500 the claim goes against you, but you had Correct. to pay the whole
3: thing anyway. Right, and that's going to stay on your record for five to seven years. So if you try to switch companies, we're going to see it. So, yeah, you got to call your agent. Call your local agent and ask them, hey, should I make a claim before you make that phone call?
0: Okay, so that's an advantage to dealing locally with somebody that you know you can call and ask those those questions
3: absolutely that yeah that's what we're here for to advise you and in, in the in a time of loss you know to to make sure that they're not putting in claims that they shouldn't be or or helping them if they do need to make a claim you know guiding them starting the claims process with them being there for them
0: how has the fire situation up in the mountains <laughs> changed things
3: oh big time we could talk for many hours on this um yeah i mean there's with the catastrophic fires that have happened in the state of California. Um, it's been harder for people that are buying property up in the mountains to get affordable insurance or just people that have been there for 20 years never had a claim but insurance companies are leaving the state of California. But good thing is there's the California Fair Plan, which is a, a state program that provides insurance to you no matter where you are. Um, it's not you know, necessarily the cheapest, but they're going to provide fire insurance for you. And then companies like, you know, farmers, Allstate, Geico are going to provide a wraparound policy to cover the other losses like water theft liability. So there's, you really have to get two insurance policies to protect yourself now. And, and that affects people here in the valley. I mean, a lot of people have homes in Shaver Lake area, you know, like cabins or their, their, their parents are up there and it's making it harder. The insurance market is getting more difficult for fire insurance. as as opposed to, like, Arizona or places like that that don't deal with this.
0: So many people get their insurance policy when they buy a home, and I'm going to bet they don't talk to their insurance agent for years and years until there is a claim. Is that advisable, or is it good to check in once in a while?
3: No, see, we do something at Farmers called the Farmers Friendly Review. So every renewal, we just check in because people's lives change. You know, they have kids or... You know they get a new job or you just want to check in hey maybe you've acquired more things you want to increase things or maybe cut back on certain things and so yeah we provide that review and just check in are you okay with your coverage and yeah it's important to check in and that's an advantage of having an agent all right That's local you could go have a cup of coffee or meet up and and chat about what you need
0: excellent well thank you very much for sharing your information with us today and keep in mind it is important to Talk to your agent. Have a good agent that you know and and uh, talk to him and keep everything updated. Thank so you, Don. Thank you. Bobby yeah, thank Thistle you. of uh, Farmers Insurance. He also is a new, brand new affiliate member of the Fresno Association of Realtors. I, I told him he couldn't come on the show. He couldn't come on this side of the glass in the studio until he became an affiliate. <laughs> So with that, we're going to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940-KYNO. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, And we're coming back to speaking about the Central California Food Bank with Denise Ocanto. And I do want to say that both her and I have given out the website where you can go and make an online donation. We're already over $500. So what what does that do and who does it go to, Denise?
1: Well, that's already 3,500 meals, but I will have to tell you that it affords us an opportunity to continue to feed 350,000 people a month, and those are seniors who are on a fixed income, their families who are working families who have to make ends meet, and they're veterans, individuals, and also college students. We collaborate with Fresno State, Reedley College, uh, City College, and. Um, because all of them have to have pantries for our students, our college students, our futures. And so I wanna let those who are considering to donate to know the impact their donation will make. And for those who have donated, um, these are the programs that you're supporting. We have a backpack program. We have 12 schools involved and we have 2050 students who receive backpacks every Friday for them and their families over the weekends. We have school pantry site. We have four school pantry sites, three in Fresno Unified School District and one in Fireball. And uh, through that program two thousand fifty students receive backpacks. Um, oh I'm sorry, the school pantry program there's four school pantries three in the Fresno Unified School District, uh, one in Fireball, and that 675 families receive food during the month. Uh, rural areas, rural schools, 10 schools are involved, 3,000 receive um, uh, boxes. Farm worker program, we have four locations, 1,200 uh, families receive boxes for um, them and their families. Groceries to go. We have uh, 13 groceries to go sites and it's like a pantry. We have one at our facility. And so if you know of anybody who needs immediate services, uh, primarily for, excuse me, it is primarily for people who work, immunocompromised individuals who can go online, make an appointment, schedule, drive up, and pick up the groceries. It is such an easy program, but I will have to say, because of the things that are happening with inflation and also rising prices in food and gas, um, we are so booked. We are actually booked up until May 2nd at our facility at uh, 4010 East Amendola Drive. So that is also creating an emergency situation for those who are struggling. And then we have our senior hunger site. We have three sites, 400 seniors receive boxes um, monthly. And so these are the people that you are supporting. These are the programs that are so important that make a difference in these people's lives. And um, I am just so grateful um, to the community for supporting the food bank and understanding that a pandemic um, increased in gas, uh, increases um, whatever the reason, life in general has affected some more than others, that you care about them, um, you dig into your pockets and you give, and that is not only a blessing for those that we serve, but it also will. you will receive a blessing. So um, we continue to do our best to pivot to every situation that we are faced in order to combat this hunger epidemic.
0: And the gift of food is really something that you feel. You, you, yes. Yeah. It, and and I guess the difference, rather than going and buying a, a hamburger and giving mm-hmm. it to somebody on the corner, mm-hmm. that same one dollar can make seven, a, meals. seven meals. How do you do? How do you guys do that? I guess partnerships. Huh?
1: Um, partnerships. Um, we actually receive uh, support from USDA. We re- receive um, support from our farmers who give us produce. Um, We also have grants that we apply for grants, and we have events that we raise money from events, and we have fundraisers. So in combination with all of that is how we actually can do that.
0: All right. So can you give us that website again?
1: Yes. The website is give.ccfoodbank.org backslash whr.
0: All right. Thank you very much for um, being here today, Denise. But most of all, thank you for what you do in our community. You're helping our community um, big time. So we, we really appreciate that and all the work that the Food Bank does. To all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you learned something today. And we'll be back again next Saturday, 9 to 10 on KYNO 940 50,000 watts of power. Thank you.